You're listening to the Boogeyman's Closet Podcast. Explicit language and spoilers ahead. You've been warned. We are back for yet another episode of the Boogeyman's Closet. As always, I am Mike Alvarez. Maurice Killifer. And we have a guest joining us today. It's me, Susie Hunt from Wish. <laughs> huh? It works. It's Mike from Count Creepy Head. How's everybody doing? Pretty good. Thank you for joining us, good sir. And uh, we are now kicking off our new month of video game horror movies. I'm pretty excited about this one. Uh, with episode 173, Brain Scan from 1994. It's an hour and 36 minutes, directed by John Flynn. Uh, some of his, his other films would be Out for Justice, Nails, Scam, uh, Absence of Good, and Protection. So let's go around the table and see what everyone thinks about this uh, wacky film. Mike, as you're our guest, we'll start with you. What do you think? Master is busy. <laughs> oh, Igor. Master is busy. Um... Let me put down my issue of Fangoria that I was reading. Ah, yes. Uh, before the I answer, because you're, you're nothing unless you've had a Fangoria cameo. <laughs> as this movie reminds us, which was uh, a thing way back in the day. So for the listeners that uh, don't remember Fangoria magazine, you can still find it at Barnes Noble. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back in, it was really prevalent in like the mid-80s until like the early 90s. Fangoria would always have cameos. And horror movies. One, because you're, you weren't promoting your horror movie unless you're running it through Fangoria. And two, it was just like a running gag. Yep. Um, so if you ever see Fangoria in the background, this movie is like dozens of them. Uh, yeah, I like Brain Scan. I tried watching it critically for the first time ever last night, but I kind of had to remember who the audience for the, the film was, which was <laughs> Teenage Boys. Yep. With, you know not the best grasp of like socials bound like boundaries and standards and things like that. And if you look at it through that lens, it's a really good movie. If you watch it critically, there's a few huge plot holes that <laughs> just, make just you, a couple that make you scratch your head. Uh, but even then, as far as video game horror movies go, it's still pretty good. That bar is set really low. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you're getting to it later this month, but I mean, I would say the, the high points probably Silent Hill. Yeah, I would agree. Um, nothing has really kind of hit that echelon. So this sits very comfortably in the Resident Evil Doom stratosphere for me. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, for whatever reason, I really relate to Eddie Furlong as this like 15 year old haggard old man. That he always plays. Fifteen-year-old <laughs> uh, haggard old man. I like you, it. You at least have all your teeth. Yeah, I got <laughs> most of them. Um, unlike Eddie Furlong, who just got them all replaced. If you ever if you follow him on social media, it's a blast. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like being the same age as he was when this came out, it kind of relates all the goofy stuff. Um. You know, we can kind of get to it as the movie's going along. It will we'll explain fun plot points like the lack of adults. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but, you know, he loves computers and he loves horror movies and like what kid didn't. Oh, especially and, in 1994. Yeah. You know, and I remember when I watched this for the first time and just remember thinking like how this is the best movie ever. Mm-hmm. So uh, I still kind of have those rose tinted glasses that I like to say the trickster doesn't age very well. But he, he doesn't. But I kind of love him. Yeah, he's really like if you you're kind of comparing him against the other we want to start a franchise horror characters of the early 90s he's great right um he's really really good and a lot of that's like the actor um who i only know from voicing some stuff on venture brothers like he didn't do much yeah he does he did a lot of voice work for video games and then he had like some tv appearances yeah so he's baron von underbite mm-hmm. uh for the longest <laughs> time i thought it was franklin jello and I didn't know it was a separate actor. I, oh, I just really? never paid attention to the credits. Uh, it's good. It's really good. And also the Steve Johnson makeup effects, which we'll get to when you, you mentioned for the first time. Um, could have been better. Yeah. But it wasn't unwatchable and it wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. And I got some chuckles out of it, too. So thumbs up. Nice. Well, Maurice, what, what are your thoughts on this one? The music was good. Oh, the music is great in this flick. Maurice, what do you <clears> think <throat> about all that Aerosmith product placement? <laughs> uh, I've never been a big Aerosmith guy, so I can care less. But, like, you're watching it, and I was just like, gee, is there a new album coming out soon? I wonder. And, and there was, wasn't there, in 94? <laughs> yeah, like, the Get a Grip crap is all over yeah. the place in this movie. And is Eddie Furlong going to be in one of the music videos? Mm. Yes. <laughs> well, I'll say... the. This is actually my first time watching it. Oh, really? Uh, 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 it's not the greatest movie. It's not the worst, but eh, I don't think I'd ever watch it again. <laughs> uh, especially watching it now. Ah, um, <laughs> oh, come on. You didn't love that great CGI? No. <laughs> um, the music was good. <laughs> You're really clinging to that one. <laughs> you know, the problem in my head, and I think Maurice is probably having trouble putting words to this. You're watching it, and you're like, okay, if this was a real thing now, this is as far as they went. Like, he doesn't remember the killings he puts a foot in a freezer. That's it. Right. You know, like, he's not wearing somebody's skin. Like, I feel like they did this now. It would go, like, way too far. Oh, yeah. And oh, this if, is very tame. <laughs> if they did this now, it would be like a VR snuff movie or something. Yeah. But did, so over, overall, not a fan, huh? Did you get the uh, did you hear like the, the Halloween kind of theme in the in the movie? No, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, it, it, it's like that, it definitely is a great value. Halloween throughout <laughs> the movie. somebody like John Carpenter. Yes, <laughs> it's James Carpenter. <laughs> they got oh, Juan yeah. Carpenter, his Mexican <laughs> cousin. Juan Carpenter. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm not a fan. I mean, it was enjoyable. I had, you know, I had a couple laughs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe if I watched it when it came out, I probably have more of appreciation for it. But watching it older, oh yeah, it's just really bad. You know, trying to find really good things about it. You know. That I would have when, well, I mean, when this came out, I was 13, so. Right. 
But, I mean, re- realistically, the only thing that's aged well is the music. Yeah, that's about it. I mm. mean, uh, the the trickster was pretty. You know, he was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was entertaining. I've never really been a really big Edward Furlong fan, to be honest. He just, I don't know. He just doesn't do it for me. I mean, I tend to like a lot of the movies he's in. I wouldn't say that I'm a fan of him. But You're not watching the movies because he's in it, though. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't watch T2 because it's got Eddie Furlong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm had, not watch, watching American History X for him. You know? He had a right. great run in the early 90s that people kind of, like, just ignore and gloss over. So you've got T2, which he's still good in it. I oh, mean, yeah, yeah you're, you're not watching it for Edward Furlong, but, like, I can't picture anybody else. Yeah, no, he's it, not. He's not a bad actor in that but he's not the reason you watch it but you've got him you've got uh pet cemetery 2 you've got this and he's in a movie with liam neeson called uh now and again Mm -hmm. i think it's called where he kills his girlfriend accidentally and it's about how his family is like trying to keep him out of jail and cover it up i don't know if i've ever seen that it gets like (laughs) glossed over and forgotten because it's just such a a weird period in history of film for like the early nineties, a lot of movies that just kind of came and went. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't remember where I saw it. it's called before and after. And Liam Neeson's his dad and Meryl Streep's his father. Yeah. It, it's got this great cast, but he accidentally kills his girlfriend. It's like a thriller and it's about the family, like trying to suss out of him what happened and then trying to protect him and cover it up. And it's just a cool, like, they don't make a movie about that mm-hmm. normally. And uh, it's pretty neat. But, like, I, they all have their problems. Like, Pet Cemetery 2, if you watch it critically, isn't that good. But no. it's good. It's still not that bad. I, I uh, honestly really like Pet Cemetery 2, but I will agree that critically it is not a good film. Um, a lot of that's because of Clancy Brown, mm-hmm. in my opinion. But Edward Furlong's still kind of integral to the plot. This is good. You know, mm-hmm. you I think even Maurice, like the worst review you can give it is like, I don't hate it, but eh. yeah, like I won't watch it every year. One of those deals. Right. Like uh, I said, if I watched it when it first came out, I probably would have enjoyed it. Right. Or then watching it now. And to his defense, he, uh, you know, he's got like substance abuse problems, but he was also groomed and molested publicly. Have you ever heard this story about Edward Furlong? Like, in a non-joking way? No. A woman got a hold of him when she was 26 and he was 13. Oh, Jesus. And he was, like, very publicly in a relationship with her. And it stayed that way for a long time, and it just messed him up. Um, and I remember hearing about it, like, down the road. And I'm probably paraphrasing a lot of this. Look it up. I don't like going on the Internet when I'm talking. Um, there was a huge age difference and she got a hold of him when she was like, he was much younger and she was much older and right. took advantage of him for money and then just kind of roped him along with sex. So there's a reason he's messed up. He's not just your typical, like he got into the system and party too hard and couldn't stop partying. Uh, right. So there's kind of a tragic backstory with Eddie Furlong. And I like him cause he's a known quantity. You always get the same grizzled, haggard too much to drink even when he was in t2 of eddie furlong and like it has never changed right 
So every time I see him in a movie, I know what I'm going to get. And I'm happy. Uh, I've always kind of compared him. It sounds crazy, but I compare him to John Saxton. Well, like John Saxton hmm. was always John Saxton playing John Saxton. <laughs> this is true. And you knew exactly what you're going to get. He's like Nancy's dad, but he's doing karate. Or, he, you know, it's he's always Lieutenant Fuller. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he's always got that bad toupee. Mm -hmm. But you like that. Yep. It's like Bruce Campbell is always Bruce Campbell to some sort of degree. So you see it, you're happy. You're like, that's what I like. And mm -hmm. I like Eddie Furlong because I related to him when I was a kid and it's never changed. So I he think still like presses that button when I see him. The only movie for me where I'm like. I really liked Eddie Furlong for being Eddie Furlong. And it was, he was, he was totally playing like the drunk drug dealer character was the remake of night of the demons. Yes. Like I, I fucking loved him in that. <laughs> and, and it's a and, character that makes sense within the context of the story. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, like, you know, he's going to live because it's Edward Furlong and it's a horror movie, mm -hmm. but the character on paper shouldn't survive the night. No, <laughs> no, he should not. <laughs> Well, I mean, technically he doesn't, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but he's kind of the hero in the film, and um, I've always found that to be cool. Kind of yeah. like uh, the boyfriend who lives longer than he should have in the first Night of the Demons. Yeah. Um, oh, the ex-boyfriend. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I can't think of his fucking name. But, yes, I know exactly who you're talking about. I love movies where, like, the character, the jerk who should get killed early, survives. Mm-hmm. Because uh, you're not expecting it, and then you kind of learn a root form. Whatever. This has yeah. nothing to do with um, brain scan. <laughs> uh, a movie 20 years before its time. Indeed. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with Mike on this one. Like, I actually do like this movie quite a bit. Um, I did see it when it came out, not in theater. I didn't see it there, but I, I remember renting it as soon as it came out on video, and having a lot of fun with it. This is, and it's something I will bring up frequently uh, throughout the movie. This is during that magic period of the 90s where no one understood technology. No. It was it was magic. It was fucking alchemy. Like, a it's computer like could late 70s, anything. early 80s sci-fi where everything took place in the year 1999 and we lived on the moon. <laughs> exactly. Like, they're like, let's just set it far <laughs> enough into the future where nobody's going to really think too hard about it. Never thinking that, like, People 25 years from now are going to watch this movie and laugh at it. Right. <laughs> it's the distant year, 2003. Mankind is exploring Mars. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Mankind is at war with the Scientologist in space. And you're like, oh, no, this is horrible. We have to stop the space apocalypse. <laughs> space apocalypse? But this one kind of got, you know, it makes sense now. To a degree. There, see, this is that. Okay, now I'm sure you guys remember that movie, uh, The Net with Sandra Bullock. Yeah. Um, this is like it was that and Virtuosity and and all of these Johnny Mnemonic. All of these films came out in this period of time where we just accepted as an audience that computers were magic. We we mentioned it a little bit on Raised by Rentals uh, when we did the Weird Science episode where we're talking about Gary and Wyatt using the internet and just how how the internet worked in that world. And it's like, you see that here, like this kid has, not only does he have a computer that has like voice recognition software and an AI servant in 1994, but he gets a video game 
that is on his computer that in order to play it, you have to call a 1-800 number after the game is in the computer, but then it doesn't play on the computer. It plays on the television. Yeah, that wasn't believable. The voice <laughs> commanded computer to me was. See, that was not believable at all to me. <laughs> um, like, if I went to somebody's house and he said, hey, you know, hey, Siri, call Maurice. Mm-hmm. And it's believable to me that somebody put the work in and have a talking. Um, see, I said, hey, Siri, my phone just turned on. Right. Um, <laughs> You know, somebody would have an avatar of a hunchback and some flashing pictures. Like, they put a lot of work into it if they really wanted to, to have that set up. See, now, I was building computers in the early 90s with my dad and my brother, and um, I took computer programming and other. And at that time? No, that's not possible. <laughs> that's why I'm saying, when I watched this as a kid, I was like, no, that's not how that works. That's back when it took you 25 minutes to download a picture of boobs. Exactly. Um, <laughs> not that Edward Furlong needed it with his neighbor, but... Um, oh, that's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah, that hasn't aged well. But no, overall, I, I am definitely a fan. I, I really do like the trickster. Um, there's something about his design that just I really like. I, I don't know, because it's, it's that almost human, but like wrong (laughs) oh i i know exactly what it is i'll wait till you get to it but i can explain why you like it it, it's Um, it's fun to me i i dig it um but yeah like overall i i big fan it's uh as soon as we discussed doing video game movies this was the first one on my list and i was like we need to make sure we get this on there um i am gonna jump ahead to the uh trivia real quick i know we got to get into the actual credits and everything but now I was always under the impression that this movie was not based on a video game. Um, however, according to the IMDb trivia, there was a video game called uh, Brainwaves that then was released as Brain Scanners after this film came out. Now, I am going to call some IMDb bullshit because I have searched, I have looked, trying to find this game. I looked on good old games. I looked on Google. I looked all over the place. I cannot find any fucking game called Brain Scanners or a game from the 90s called Brainwaves. I found games called Mind Scan, which has absolutely nothing to do with anything about this movie, and it wasn't out at that time. So I think this is some IMDb bullshit. But if the listeners, if any of you know of this game, like, let me know, because I'm now intrigued. I can't find anything online about it. So it might be one of those came and went type of video games, because trust me, there's plenty of them that I played back in PC on the on okay, you know, the 90s. So, Mike, you probably know more about video games than me and Maurice. Maurice, are you a big gamer? No, not as big as he is, no. So 94 was the Commodore? No, 94, you had, I mean, you had Windows and, and you know, actual, like, PCs. Uh, so, Commodore was in the 80s. Maybe they wanted to make this a computer game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was like Windows, right? Yeah. A DOS game or whatever. Um, and it just never went anywhere. Because it seems like they were very merchandising oriented with like all the product placement and stuff like that. But right. I can't imagine. They, the movie probably tanked and they're like, well, let's just cut our losses and get the fuck out of here. Well, see, and this is that is at the time when we were still making video games with like, you know, like one or two people were a video game team. You know, like you had like single people in like out there making video games for PC that were getting mass produced and, and sold like at stores like media play and Babbage's and shit like that. 
Um, you know, <laughs> Babbage's. Oh <laughs> right? man, I love that name. It's not like like nowadays where yeah, you have you have like the indie games on Steam and everyone knows it's an indie game. These were like mass produced, like you assume a company was behind it, but it's like, oh yeah, you know, this Mirage Studios type of thing where it's like literally one guy in his living room, you know, programming. Um, and I Back when Wing Commander games. was like a guy in a garage with Mark Hamill and a microphone. <laughs> right. <laughs> and technically that was part three. <laughs> but, uh, but no, like, I mean, do you remember uh, Pumpkinhead Blood Wings on PC? No. Yeah, that was the thing. That was a, a crazy CD-ROM uh, interactive game that was uh, a tie-in to the second Pumpkinhead movie, and it was awful. But again, that was like programmed by like three guys. What kind of game was it? Uh, do you remember games like Sewer Shark and Night Trap? Yes. So it had a lot of full motion video, that very like compressed, you know, like four by four aspect ratio. Um, it was just awful compressed video of Pumpkinhead. And then you were in these like badly digitized like hallways looking for like clues to stop Pumpkinhead. It, it looked like, honestly, it looked like the, um, whatchamacallit? I'm trying to think of the damn video. There was a music video, uh, the Money for Nothing um, Dire yeah. Straits. It, it kind of had graphics like that. It was awful. Oh. I mean, I've <laughs> watched videos of people playing Zombie on Commodore. Oh, yeah. I played that. And I played, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street on Nintendo. Mm -hmm. I just watched videos of people playing these games. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, no, it's it's bad. It's one of those games I remember grabbing at Media Play when I worked there because I was like, holy shit, Pumpkinhead, the video game? I, I, I got to get this. You know and what then, I have? Uh, I mean, it's a video game episode, so I don't feel bad mentioning video games. I have the Land of the Dead shooter. Dude, seriously? I never got my hands on that. So I have a PC copy. I've never opened it. It was given to me as a gift. My computer couldn't support it. So oh, I kind of just have it crazy. in my Romero collection of stuff. And I've watched the video of the game and I'm like, this sucks. I don't really care. Um, but it's just, it was like, I keep it because it was a gift. You know, I, I tried to find that when it came out and like, I never, like I can never found it around me. And then it was like, then I didn't have a computer for a while because my old computer broke and I hadn't bought a new one. So it was like, I kind of forgot about it by the time I got a new PC, but. Uh, you oh, play shit. an old guy and you, you shoot zombies and like Savini's in it. I'm going to have to see if I can find that on, on, uh, online. See if can they have like, any copies. I don't know if like a system could support it now. Oh, there's stuff like good old games where you can, uh, like it's, they're formatted to play on modern systems. Okay. Okay. Um, like, yeah. You like you have to download like a virtual console. Yeah. There's stuff like that. Like I, I play a lot of the old, um, like the sprite based, uh, first person shooters like blood or shadow warrior, uh, Duke Nukem, like all those. I have all of those on my on my computer currently. I played Duke Nukem when he was a little Mario guy. Oh yeah, Duke Nukem one and two. Um, fun. I remember, I do remember playing those, but then when 3D came out, it was all over. <laughs> like I'm like, okay, I'm playing this forever. You know, um, I could never figure out why girls wouldn't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> kind of starting to wrap my head around it a little bit. <laughs> Were you constantly <laughs> quoting Duke? <laughs> no, no. Hey, baby. <laughs> Oh God! But yeah, I tried I starting a horror movie club and it never worked. <laughs> well, it worked for Eddie Furlong. Come on, school Which... would never allow that shit. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> Which, speaking of, let's get into the cast here. So we have, as mentioned multiple times, Michael played by Edward Furlong, 
I mean, really, his IMDb credits, most of us are already going to know. But, you know, T2, Judgment Day, Pet Cemetery 2, American History X, Pecker, Detroit Rock City, uh, the remake of Night of the Demons, like we mentioned, and, of course, The Crow, Wicked Prayer, which I, I have to bring up every time I bring up Eddie Furlong, because it was just so ridiculous. Who the fuck? Who fuck? Oh, my God. <laughs> it was like, him and Tara Reid. Like, how? Like, this is just nuts. They should have just, like, they were constantly trying to get that lightning in the bottle that they had with... Brandon Lee. But and you just what, have to accept you're not going to have it. Stop making sequels. And they keep picking the worst fucking people. See, now I actually like the second one. It's City okay, of, but it's like that the the aura of oh, yeah. that shadow that Brandon Lee casts in The Crow, like you're never going to get that again. I so will stop. say this, though. The Crow Wicked Prayer gave us two things that I didn't know I needed. David Boreanaz playing Satan. And frickin', um, oh my god, why can't I think of his name? Uh, bad guy in Speed, um, bad guy in Land of the Dead. Oh, uh, Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper, thank you. And Dennis Hopper playing a a Satan-worshipping pimp. <laughs> who was like, Satan's the old G! <laughs> like, I miss I Dennis was, Hopper. Oh my god, it's that alone is worth watching The Crow Wicked Prayer for, is is those two people. Like, my God, I laughed so fucking hard watching that movie. But uh, then we have Detective Hayden, played by Frank Langella, who, of course, we would know from Masters of the Universe, Skeletor, uh, Dracula, Small Soldiers, The Ninth Gate, and The Box. One thing I will say about Frank Langella is I always forget what a fucking great actor he is, like, outside of Skeletor, because, of course, I always think of him as Skeletor. You know, I was going to make the comment that you can kind of consider Edward Furlong horror royalty for the amount, like the sheer number of horror movies that he's done. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe they're not good, but he's in a lot of stuff. Like I put him in the level of like Michael Berryman. Yeah. Or, you know, like that kind of thing. The same goes for Frank Langella for his sheer commitment to nerdy stuff when he's in it. Oh, yeah. He could have just phoned it in on Skeletor. And, like, yep. the writing was on the wall that that movie was going to suck balls. And he just went all out. He, he did the same in this, though. Like, every single scene that this man is in, he fucking chews the scenery. Yes. And, and I was like, every time he was on screen, I was like, damn, he is he is really good. <laughs> like, holy and shit. He's arguably one of the worst Draculas ever. Mm-hmm. And he still commits to it 100%. So, like, you got my respect, Frank Lincella. Absolutely. I, I will never have a bad thing to say about you. <laughs> uh, then we have the trickster played by T. Ryder Smith, who we mentioned uh, wasn't in a lot of stuff, but he was in Law and Order, like quite a few episodes. Uh, did voices for Bioshock, Manhunt 2, and The Venture Brothers. Um, which, God, I, I loved that show. Coming back. Yeah, I'm excited. Then we have uh, Kimberly played by Amy Hargreaves. Uh, she was in Law and Order, Blue Bloods, The Following, and 13 Reasons Why. And uh, Kyle, played by Jamie Gallen, who is an X-Files ER, The Forsaken, which is a highly underrated vampire flick from the early 2000s. Is that the one uh, where they're in the desert? Yep. Um, I oh, I really like that one. I I hate the random singing Enter Sandman moment, because that's just awful. But <laughs> the rest of the movie I enjoyed. Um, then we have, uh, he was in NYPD Blue and Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Now, there are quite a few other players in this film, but those are the main players. Um, so the plot for anyone who has not seen this and is wondering what the fuck we're talking about up to this point, uh, it's pretty basic. We have a, a teenager, uh, Michael, 
plays an interactive video game where he kills innocent victims. Later, the murders become real. Or do they? So it's a little like what's going on type of mystery flick. But we open up with our main character, Michael, having a nightmare about a car accident he was in as a child while the opening credits roll and we get the title card. We see that his mother has died and he is severely injured his leg, which is pretty much given him a lifelong limp, which is going to be important later. Um, I do have to comment the scene where we see the little boy on the operating table with his fucking blown out knee. That was gnarly as hell. Like, that was just gross. Yeah. And it's a running theme with Eddie Furlong, like mother issues in his movies. You know, I never thought about that, but yeah, you're right. Uh, and also just that's his character. He always just like shit's tough, man. Like he's seen some shit. He's 13, 14. Mm-hmm. And he's got that old world. Like you're going to catch him at a truck stop, you know, <laughs> ashing his cigarette into a coffee. Like he's just got that. Like I've seen some shit. I remember you just, yeah, it just, <laughs> but he, uh, he wakes up to a phone call on his fancy state of the art nineties computer. <laughs> Master is busy, <laughs> but he has this a- uh, AI servant named Igor. Um, so he answers the phone call and it's his best friend, Kyle calling, uh, tell to tell him all about a brand new horror game called brain scan which claims to be the most terrifying experience you'll ever have. It's in Fango, man. The one with the eyeballs. (laughs) Which was issue 90, apparently. Um, Which isn't, it's an older issue, because I was collecting Fangorias back then. Yeah, I think it actually came out in 1990. That was the Total Recall issue. Yep. Issues (laughs) in 94 sucked, because it was always Dracula or Jurassic Park, because there was just, like, no horror movies. Or it was, like... um, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein or Sleepwalkers, Wolf. It's a real (laughs) dark time for Fangoria. Yeah, the mid-90s horror was kind of on the outs. This is kind of like the beginning of the end of the, you know, like the beginning of the dark times, Mm -hmm. as I like to call it. (laughs) So Michael writes off the hype as uh, just an advertisement saying, remember Gore Beasts? It was trash. I always love fake video game titles and movies and and TV shows in the 90s because it's always something like bloody dismemberment, sex, murder, blood, fuck, and the abortionator. (laughs) (laughs) I can just picture him going to Blockbuster like, can I rent sex, murder, blood, fuck, please? (laughs) Part, Part two. Oh, my God. But I mean, seriously, they always were like these crazy titles that had like blood and murder and death and sex in the title. Well, the movie he he shows the horror club later is just ridiculous. (laughs) But I mean, like as as an avid gamer in the 90s, that always used to drive me crazy because it was like, yeah, we had games like Mortal Kombat that were gory. But it was called Mortal Kombat. Now, you'd see it like on The Simpsons and it would be something like murder, death, kill. So eventually, like, that became an actual game, Murder, Death, Kill. (laughs) But it's like, I don't know, it just always cracked me up the way they portrayed violent video games and media. Yeah, they they didn't quite have their finger on it in this, and they're sort of, like, trying their hardest. Like, what do kids like these days? (laughs) They like sex, murder, blood, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Uh. God. But I also love Kyle's response, because he goes... 
dude, it's interactive CD-ROM. Like, that somehow makes it legit. Uh, well, hey, man, CDs were the future back then. Oh, uh-huh. uh, I just, PC games in the 90s was the fucking Wild West, man. But, so Kyle tells him to check out Fangoria, telling him it's the one with the eyeballs on the cover, and read the ad for yourself. So he goes on to read all the blurbs, talking about how dark and twisted it is, it's more real than reality, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, Michael's boob dar starts ringing, and he looks up and sees his neighbor Kimberly changing in front of her mirror across the street. So he decides to videotape her, because he's a little peeping Tom. But plot, plot twist, Kimberly knows she's he's taping her, and she likes it. Dun, dun, dun. Man, all right, I got two things to say. First of all, <laughs> if you were a kid back then, I know a lot of your listeners are, like, younger than us. Mm-hmm. Shit in the back of Fangoria, like, they had a classified ad section. It was a thing. Like, send a self-addressed stamped envelope. Get shit that's weird mm-hmm. in the mail. I did it constantly. Um, <laughs> lots of, like, tape trader pages. and Like, they would send you a catalog of the shit that they had. And it was all these, like, forbidden crazy movies. And you'd be like, whoa! And you'd send a money order. And hopefully you would get, like, a package in the mail of, like, a weird bootleg tape of some crazy-ass Japanese thing. Oh, yeah. Um, it was a real thing. Or, like homemade masks or just take your pick mm-hmm. the second could... thing such fantasy for teenage boys that like one it's acceptable to peep right two she's gonna like it mm-hmm. oh yeah it's, this so, is not this is not reality in any way so problematic <laughs> uh and this continues like fucking uh what's american beauty mm-hmm does the exact same thing with uh what's her name? Right. Or Thor Birch. Thor Birch. No. It's not real. Oh no, it's, not at all. Stop. <laughs> not at all. And that's the thing, like <laughs> you know, I have never met anyone that has actually experienced something like this. So this is totally like Hollywood fantasy. Like it doesn't I can picture exist. like between two creepy guys. Mm-hmm. Maybe this would be a thing. <laughs> creepy neighbors peeping out his window, looking at other creepy neighbors. So it's like Bob is watching Jim, and Jim's <laughs> like, "I guess if you want to see my butthole, and it's a game." And they, you know, like they're if they're on the DL. Mm-hmm. But like, no, there's no woman out there that's like, I want my creepy Edward Furlong neighbor to watch me undress. And and, and I know he's taping me and taking photos, so let me show my boobs. Yeah, and in my house without screens on the windows. <laughs> yep, that's for you, Susie. It would also, we should address the other weird unaddressed thing in the movie. Edward Furlong is like rich. Oh, yeah. Well, his- he lives in a little mansion by himself. We don't know what his dad does, but he talks about tech at one point, and he's clearly away on business. So it's like his dad definitely has some kind of wealthy job, but uh, yeah, the the absence of parents is very uh, very strong throughout this film. It's that Harry Potter conundrum where like if the parents were there, the movie doesn't go forward because anybody with half a brain would be like, no, you're not having a kegger party. <laughs> Right. No, you're not playing Murder Death Fuck 7 <laughs> on Sega CD. None of that. It doesn't work. So, like, the parents have to be conveniently dead or gone. 
Well, and that's the thing that that is a trope like a, a, I, I'm sure it's on TV tropes, uh, but it's definitely a trope in, in 80s and 90s horror films of the, well, it's it's twofold. You have either the absent parents where they're, they're always gone. I mean, you have movies like The Gate or, or like this or, you know, where it's like the parents being gone is a huge plot point or parents are stupid and they never believe or understand the crazy thing that's actually happening. And this was. Totally you know, the plot point now is that there's no signal from my cell phone. Yeah. Back then it was your parents are gone. Mm-hmm. But Kyle calls him out for watching Kimberly and asks if he can see her tits. He tells him to make his move soon because there's a jock at their school that's interested. And, and you know, Michael's like, yeah, yeah, I will. <laughs> so he gets off the phone with Kyle while watching his Kimberly tape and decides to uh, to call her only to bitch out and hang up as soon as she goes to answer. <laughs> I just got to know, like, don't be this guy, kids. Nobody likes this guy. Don't be <laughs> the heavy breather. Yeah. It's not a thing anymore. People don't do this. They used to with rotary phones because you didn't know who was calling you. So you could call whoever and just like breathe heavy. Oh, the early days of me working at the hospital. The amount of creepy callers I got. Hey, Ugh. man, can you like take your clothes off again, man? <laughs> Yeah, there, there were there were people who would call you. No joke. There were people who would call and masturbate like that was the thing. Mike, and it's your voice. Apparently it used to piss me off because I'm like, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> I just imagine some guy like trying to keep you on the phone a little bit longer. <laughs> wait, wait, well, don't the, hang up. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is my one coworker because it was it was me and I'm not going to name her, but me and another coworker who worked overnights. And she was telling me about this guy who was asking for the address. So she gives him the address. He's like, oh, oh, uh, can 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 you spell Niagara? So she started spelling. He's like, no, slower, slower. And she's telling me the story and I can't stop laughing because I'm like, you know what he was doing, right? And she's like, no. Well, oh, my God, no. <laughs> I was oh. like, I mean, come I on. guess there's a fetish for everything. I never knew there was a spelling bee fetish. I think he just wanted her to to speak slower. <laughs> but i'm gonna have to call you and just be like can you say super muddy with extra cheese <laughs> say it slower can you say sex murder blood fuck can you say sex murder blood fuck <laughs> but, call me uncle mikey oh uh, <laughs> that's creepy <laughs> so speaking of mikey Michael decides that since he can't talk to chicks, he may as well virtually dismember them and orders a copy of BrainScan. He talks to the guy on the phone about the game, asking what it's all about, and is told that it depends on the individual. What makes BrainScan unique is that it interfaces with your subconscious. You supply the inspiration and we take care of the rest. Michael is skeptical and tries to tell him as much, but then suddenly there's a weird noise and somehow a spotlight that comes out of the phone and makes him jizz in his pants. I mean, not really, but he looks pretty happy. So he's like, whoa, what was that? <laughs> it's like his chair just poked him in the ass or something. <laughs> like, and then the, the voice goes, it's been decided. You'll play Death by Design. The first installment will arrive soon. And then they hang up. Michael <laughs> attempts to call the company back and gets a busy signal. Because of course he does. Smash cut to Michael and his fellow classmates watching a horror movie <laughs> in, the more, in the horror movie club. And the principal comes in and shuts the movie off, telling Michael to come to his office. And I love this because he asks him, he goes, what was that trash you were showing your student or your <laughs> fellow students? He goes, death, death, death. And he goes, death, 
death, death. And then he goes, part two. Part two. <laughs> so, Mike, did you recognize that as an actual horror movie? I did not. I didn't either. Because I thought, like, are they playing, like, a public domain hammer horror thing? And I think they filmed it for the movie. Yeah, it, it kind of looked like they just kind of made that up. Because there's just, like, everybody's getting staked. Mm-hmm. And someone's yeah. getting a hand chopped off and shit. And I was like, what is this? Because you watch those, and you think, like, this is a real movie. Mm-hmm. Like, Angels with Dirty Faces and Home Alone. Right. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, but... but so he tells Michael that the, the school clubs are supposed to be uh, to help or supposed to help enrich students lives, not to show them filth. He essentially bans the horror club. Michael protests and the principal tells him that if, if he wants to keep it going, he has to bring any movie or video game that he wants to show the horror club to him. And if he can get through it and uh, he'll approve it, uh, but only then can he show it to the club until then the club is canceled. Don't forget that erections cause people to rape. Oh, yeah, he, got, he makes that comment. He's like, why do you watch horror films? And he's like, it's an escape. And he goes, hmm, like smoking a marijuana cigarette to escape reality. Like watching a pornographic film and getting an erection to rape somebody. And then he goes, well, to be fair, erections don't rape people. People rape people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a ridiculously funny line. If there is ever a bumper sticker, <laughs> it's that. Oh my god, I just, I love, I love the smoking a marijuana cigarette to escape reality. Like, he was so up on his high horse when he was saying these things. Guns Do you know don't what kill he reminded people. me of? What's that? He reminded me of uh, the principal in Jason Takes Manhattan. Or oh, yeah. Monster Squad. See, now in Monster Squad, though, he was like, I could dig it, man. I get it. Math like, is cool. What's this? Spider with human head. <laughs> I used to think monsters were cool, but now I think math is cool. <laughs> oh, I just gosh. watched it and thought, like, if I was the principal, I'd just be like, what movie is this? Can I borrow it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, or I would scold him. I'd just be like, this is you could do so much better than <laughs> Death, Death, Death Part 2. There's so many better movies out there. Like, <laughs> that would give him like here's bloody bloody bible camp kiddo oh god <laughs> that'll put hair in her balls oh man so we cut to michael driving home from school on his scooter where he comes across a murder investigation not far from his house uh detective hayden aka skeletor asks him if he lives on that street and if he knew the people when michael tells him no hayden tells him to get out of there and go home so go on get go on get Michael takes off as the cops continue their investigation. He arrives home to find his copy of Brain Scan has arrived, and he also comments, I didn't order this. And I was like, bitch, were you asleep two scenes ago? You said they said the disc was coming. Like, I didn't you order were this, there. But, you know, like, there's probably porn in the mail, too. And he's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I ordered this. <laughs> hey, it's Linnea Quigley's horror workout on VHS. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Time to work out the old wrist. I did um, What's that? I ever tell you my Linnea Quigley horror workout story? No, I don't think so. <laughs> Let me grind the podcast to a halt. <laughs> uh, I so back in Fangoria where they you could just order anything with like a money order. Uh, so I had a gas station across the street from my house, and I would save my money. I'd find like sneaky ways, like I wouldn't eat lunch at school. I would save my lunch money that way, so my parents didn't know what I was up to. 
a VHS copy of Linnea Quigley's horror movie workout was seventy nine ninety five. Oh Jesus! Yeah, I ordered it because I was a little pervert and I was obsessed with Linnea Quigley. It shows up in the mail because this is back when like you'd send an envelope with a money order and you'd have to wait like six to eight weeks. Mm-hmm. So I always just had a steady flow of crap coming in the mail, mm-hmm. and it showed up, and I had to like I couldn't wait. I I didn't realize that like what was on the tape one and two like how much trouble I would get into. I just ran into the house, popped it in the VCR and pressed play. Have you guys ever seen Linnea Quigley's horror movie workout? <laughs> no, I've uh, seen clips, but I've never seen the whole thing. It opens with a shower scene of Linnea just soaping her boobs for like makes, a good five minutes. Makes sense. And I remember my mother just be looking at me like, what, what is wrong with you? And I was like 11 and I was just like, yay. I, I just, I don't know why, but the first image that came to my head was her smacking you with a shoe. Being like, Go on, get, get to your room. <laughs> she took off her sandal and consuelded me. Like just beat the shit out of me. Uh, no, at that point I was a for, I was like a big source of frustration for the family of like, that boy ain't right. <laughs> oh my god, that's funny. Because at this point, I had ordered a Distortions Unlimited severed head. There was always just like bootleg horror movies coming in the mail. Like I was, I got uh, a glass eye from a medical supply company that was advertising in the back of Fangoria. <laughs> like <laughs> I just got crazy shit because I just love that stuff. Um, yeah. Oh, that's funny. I should went to therapy. I still have a lot of it. Like I got a uh, human skull candy dish. I'm looking at it right now. That's crazy. Uh, just because I was like, you know, kids are buying video games and stuff with their paper out money. I was getting stuff out of the back of Fangoria and Gorezone. <laughs> yeah, see, I was the one buying the video games. <laughs> but uh, we also find out here that Michael's dad is away on business, which explains why he's home alone the entire film. Uh, later that night, there's a party next door at Kimberly's place. Michael watches jealously from the window and decides that he may as well try out brain scan. Um, now, as I, I mentioned, like I have a note here about how the game works. Like I don't understand it at all. He he puts it in the computer, he calls the company, and then the TV turns on. Like I I, I just don't get it. It gives but, you like an experience through epilepsy. Yeah, like I understand the concept of what they're trying to say, like it, because of the flashing lights and all the, and the sounds, it somehow, you know, puts you into a, like a weird hypnosis state. And but it's I, kind of like they were trying to wrap their head around the Internet. Right. But I'm just saying, like, back then you couldn't hook a computer up to like a CTR TV. Like, that's not yeah. how that worked. And he had the monitor on and the CD-ROM drive would have been connected to the computer which was connected to the monitor so why did the video game show up on the television and why did he have to call a 1-800 number to play it because people were stupid back then (laughs) it was very confusing people are stupid now because i thought that worked (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) i'm sorry that just caught me off guard (laughs) i worked for apple for 12 years and i still was like okay that make that 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 passes the smell test that seems legit but he tells Igor that he wants no calls so he can't be disturbed while playing. And of course, that's exactly when Kimberly tries to call, which results in a busy signal. And somehow Igor, say, Igor saying, Master is busy over and over. I'm like, that's not how phones work. That's not, no, that doesn't happen. 
It's code for he's jerking off. <laughs> right. <laughs> the technology in this movie drove drove me nuts. Edward but... Furlong's churning butter. <laughs> well, he's gonna be doing something pretty soon. <laughs> but the game kicks up, and the man on the phone tells Michael how it works as well as the rules. He says, for the next two hours, you'll undergo something like hypnosis through the TV. This will alter his reality, basically. Uh, he'll be taking on the role of a serial killer, viewing the world through his eyes, and be able to affect his actions. He must stalk and kill within the time limit of the program. This is the first disc in a series of four, and if time runs out, he won't be allowed to play the next. Last but not least, he has to think like a killer, cover up any and all clues, and leave no witnesses. So Michael cues up the game, and it begins. Um, <laughs> quick question. The guy specifically said two hours to complete the game. But when the game starts and we see the timer on the television, it only shows one hour. Plow. So, yeah. It, Number one. I mean, now it makes a little sense later because we see the time limit getting less and less through each subsequent disc, which will make sense at the end of the film. But this start, it doesn't have two hours on the timer. So that that confused me. But um, we then get a POV scene of someone sneaking into a house while the voice from the phone gives directions. <laughs> I love this. He breaks into the house and he goes into the kitchen and it says the, the voice goes, choose one. And he looks at all these hanging implements. There's a knife, a cheese grater, tongs and a spatula. <laughs> I'm like, what if he chose the spatula? <laughs> like, does he lose the game automatically or does he now have to kill someone with a spatula? That's what I would have taken. <laughs> I would have taken the cheese grater. That I mean, like, that's bonus points for creativity. Right? <laughs> if you're going to run that, like, your clock, and just slap somebody with a spatula for, <laughs> you know, 95 minutes. Oh, <laughs> uh, you could actually kind of, you can, or no, it's a, I'm sorry, it's fly swatter. I was going to say, you can do that in Resident Evil 8. You can get the fly swatter and smack, uh, yeah. what's you her could. name in the butt? I mean, you could, like, heat up the spatula and burn somebody's face. Make, like, an arch nemesis spatula face. Right, <laughs> spatula face that's a dick tracy villain if i've heard one but so the killer makes his way upstairs finds a dude passed out in bed the voice eggs him on and he stabs the fuck out of the guy causing him to flail around with the knife in his back after the guy falls uh, falls to the floor dead or seemingly dead he uh, decides to cut off his foot as a trophy this part creeped me out because he's like slicing through the dude's foot and then he jumps up like bah! like freaking out you know get knocked the fuck out again I guess because he's new with the whole serial killer thing, but like of all the dumb shit to mm -hmm. take a trophy, right? You know, like maybe like a finger or an eyeball, something a little smaller, but a whole fucking foot. I thought he was gonna like skin the tattoo off his foot because we yeah, or close like, in on the tattoo. Take a picture off the mantle, you know? Yeah, something like in um, what was it uh, Hell? Oh God, Hellfest. They uh, right. the kill killer has that little closet of trophies and and from the the kills in the movie he took just the photos from the uh, photo booth you could cut off his penis and put it in a jar yeah i mean you, you know, know. That, that works <laughs> but um Got a big so, fridge <laughs> so he he cuts off the guy's foot and and uh takes off and then you know michael comes out of the game with nine minutes to spare he looks around amazed and excited uh by what he just experienced and um, now I just got a, a side note here. I don't know where you guys watched this, but I watched it on Amazon and the subtitles are PG. Anytime someone swears, it doesn't say the swear in the subtitles. 
So Michael says, I kicked ass with time to spare. And the subtitles say, I kicked butt with time to spare. And there, there's one point where he says shit and they say stuff. <laughs> he says fuck and they say freaked. Um, I watched it on YouTube. <laughs> Didn't have any of that. But also, you guys have gotten me hooked on watching things with subtitles. Oh, I have to have the subtitles on. I yeah. love it. But uh, Michael decides to to combat the music from the party next door by blasting some music of his own because fuck them kids. White zombie, right? No, uh, no, he uh, they were playing white zombie at the party at the end of the movie. Um, I He's forget something cool. I can't yeah. remember some like early 90s thrash. Uh, pretty much all the music in this was good. But uh, so the next day, Michael is telling Kyle about how awesome brain scan is. Kyle asks to borrow it, but Michael tells him he wants to play it a few more times first. While they're having this conversation, some cop cars go flying by. And I was like, hmm, I wonder what that's all about. Michael's one of those friends that never lets people borrow video games. Oh, yeah. Although had, Kyle is probably one of those guys that would, like, erase your save data. I was just going to say, I had a few friends that I wouldn't lend uh, certain games to only because, yeah, they would erase your save data. And back then, like, you know, it wasn't like you saved it on the system. You saved it on the cart. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like, nope. I've had friends that would borrow shit and just never give it back. Like, oh, yeah. They, just, they knew they were taking it from you, and they would give you shit when you asked for it back. And it's like, it's mine. Mm-hmm. You've had it for months. Can I please have my stuff back? I have a, a handful of DVDs and some graphic novels that I have never gotten back um, that I've loaned out in in like the past ten years <laughs> that I've never gotten back again. Yeah, but I, um, lo- I loaned Mike this book called Witches and I never got it back. <laughs> now, to be fair, <laughs> <laughs> my my wife went into a cleaning frenzy and it was in a in with a pile of books on my table. Because uh, I was going to return it to Maurice and she moved it and didn't remember where she put it. And I tore my house apart trying to find it. I still to this day have never found the damn thing. So I bought him a new one <laughs> because I'm like, I don't know what happened to it. It disappeared into the bowels of my house. So it's probably somewhere in a box of books in the basement. But... Mike's mythical basement. Oh, Clown that... paintings, books. That basement, there, there's there's literally a closet in that basement that I have totes stacked from floor to ceiling. I need to go through and just start getting rid of stuff. But uh, anywho, um, so Michael goes home, pops the disc in again and calls the number. Uh, but this time as the game goes to boot up, the TV turns to static. So something is wrong with the game. Michael hears someone pull up outside and sees that it's Kimberly arriving home. He decides to finally make his move. He goes next door to ask Kimberly's parents if he can talk to her. They you know, really forgot to mention there's a throwaway character of Kimberly's best friend. Oh, Stacy. Who's got like no eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, she, she'll come at, at like she only has like two scenes. She has one where she pops in when Kimberly's trying to call Michael uh, when he's getting the master is busy. Um, Stacy comes in and she's like, are you going to join the rest of the party? And then later on when she talks to Kyle at the end of the film. I should also add that my fashion sense is firmly rooted in this time period. <laughs> I still wear flannels and I still tie them around my waist. Well, hey, what's comfortable is comfortable. <laughs> yep. But uh, so, yeah, he he goes to her house uh, and asks to speak with Kimberly. The parents reluctantly let him in and call her downstairs. Now, she's she's do- upstairs doing whatever um, while he's waiting. The pictures of Michael. Apparently. <laughs> Everybody's well, a dirty pervert in this movie. Well, we find out she definitely is. Um, but while he's waiting, the parents are watching the news, and Michael sees a report on the murder that he assumed was just part of the game. 
Uh, and of course, because it's a movie, they show everything from the body to the bloody hand prints in the destroyed <laughs> bedroom, because that's totally how the news works. Oh, man. <laughs> this, we, we comment on this all the time, like how tropey that is in horror films. Like, oh, look, there's a dead body on the news. One of the <laughs> oldest tropes is not zipping the body bag so the hand falls out as you're wheeling yeah. the body out. Oh, my God. It's We've seen that trope so many times. But not my favorite of the coroner eating around the dead body, but oh, it's up there. I, I love that trope. But Michael spazzes out and tells Kim's parents that he has to go home and he quickly heads out and get, goes back home to watch the news. Uh, cut to Michael with a crowd. A little, uh, cut to Michael with the crowd around the crime scene. He sneaks in past the police tape and starts poking around only to get caught by Detective Hayden again. Hayden tells him that he shouldn't be there, and this is now the second time that he's telling him to go home and forget about all of this. So Michael takes off. You know, I gotta be honest, he's been very nice and reasonable to a kid who keeps crossing into crime scenes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, the first one, I, I would say, was definitely an accident. He was driving home, and it was like, oh, shit. You know, he, he came, because he came down, like, he came through the park. So he kind of, like, popped out onto the street right in the middle of this investigation. Um... But this one, it's like you you actively went past the police tape. Like, you yeah. would have gotten a lot of trouble for that. But for the most part, his character is very, like, level-headed. Because mm-hmm. there's several points in the movie where he has to, like, reprimand people for being stupid. Yep. And they could have overwritten him and have him, like, you know, murdering and screaming and swearing. But he's always just very, like, Franklin Jella. Yep. Is another reason why I love him in this film. He's, he's so believable <laughs> as this, like, level-headed smart detective, you know? But, uh, yeah, so Hayden tells him to get on out of there. Go on, get. So back to Michael at home. He remembers the voice telling him to hide the foot in a safe place. He checks his freezer and finds the severed foot laying atop some macaroni and cheese. (laughs) You know, it probably made that Panera mac and cheese taste better. Just saying. I I believe it was Swanson. Oh, God. (laughs) Did you guys ever get Swanson delivery? (laughs) No. Never did. I had uh, friends growing up when I was a kid. There were friends of the family that had a Swanson truck. So we always had like that off-brand Swanson frozen food bullshit. <laughs> but uh, Michael tries to call the number again and finds it to be non-existent. Suddenly he gets a phone call from from the man who sent him the game. The TV turns on showing the brain scan logo. Michael yells at the man wanting to know what the hell is going on. The voice tells him, you were there. You know exactly what you did. Suddenly, something comes out of the television. It's the face from the title screen. It grows a body from its next stump and introduces itself as the trickster. He has the voice of the man on the phone. Trickster tells Michael uh, that he chose to do this on his own, so he's fully responsible. Michael asks him how he how he got in there, and the trickster nonchalantly says, you invited me. That's how it always works. And I love it. He's rifling through Michael's CDs, and he goes, don't you have anything good? He basically tells him he's got shit taste. And then the trickster clearly has awesome taste because he pulls out a Primus CD and puts it in the CD player. So I was like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I dig his music taste. There was definitely a moment where it's like, I'm watching this just thinking like, I want to hang out with a trickster. Right? <laughs> he, like, he would make me cooler. And he probably doesn't want to hang out. He nope. wants you to kill people and be like, do you want to play Street Fighter 2? <laughs> well, like, you know? Clearly he would sit down and watch the Three Stooges with you. Yeah. So, but Michael turns off the CD and demands answers, saying none of this makes any sense. The trickster tells him it doesn't have to. 
asking if any of the horror movies he watches make sense, saying, does death, death, death make sense? No, it isn't about sense. It's about death, death, death. Michael tells him, I don't even or I didn't even know that guy. And the trickster replies, and therein lies the beauty. You had no motive. It was totally random. Like in the animal world, prey never has a name. He goes on to tell Michael that he can't wait to see what he does next. It was a work of art, a thing of beauty. Eh. <laughs> I know, right? Eh. Michael tells <laughs> sure him, he's out on that one. <laughs> Michael tells him, there is no next. The trickster tells him that he must play the second disc to eliminate the witness. Saying that he's in this now and he has to continue whether he wants to or not. Michael has no choice but to keep playing. Dun, dun, dun. So this is where Act 1 ends. What are you guys thinking at this point? I'm invested. Maurice, for a first-time watcher, what were your thoughts? I was just trying to figure out where it was going. I I haven't lost interest. You know, and coming from Maurice's standpoint, the music's really good. Watching it now, like, I mean, I still listen to all these bands, but it's like, man, White Zombie was awesome. I kind of download download the soundtrack if I'm like, right? Yeah, no, I, I, I do love the music. But uh, once again, I love the fucking trickster design. I don't know why I like the design so much, but it's just cool. So Steve Johnson did the effects for the trickster in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not an effects heavy movie. It's mostly the trick, the trickster. Steve mm-hmm. Johnson did the effects for Night of the Demons. I mm-hmm. want you to think of Angela and Linnea Quigley. They have okay. stretched out fish mouths. So yep. a trick that Steve Johnson did that he learned from Lon Chaney is he takes medical tape. Lon Chaney used to take fish skin and mm-hmm. do this, but he stretches the face unnaturally and tapes it the back of your neck. So if you look at the trickster, you can see that his head's been shaved Yep. and that there's a wig on. That's also to pull his mouth back. So he's got this unnaturally wide piranha mouth Right. that the actor is so good that he just keeps acting with it. It's really, really cool. So he's got this like his skin is pulled like bad plastic surgery. Um, that great Steve Johnson effect. Uh, he's kind of forgotten in the pantheon of like big effects guys coming out of the eighties, but really cool effect. There's, there's also like, there's, there's little details <clears throat> that I, I really enjoy. Like the fact that he has, like you said, the shaved head, but he's got like this giant plume of red hair. Yes. But it's like, there's like the extreme widow's peak and it just goes, it just looks really cool. And then he has the uh, the fingerless gloves with the long taloned fingers, mm-hmm. but the fingernails don't come to a point. They're like squared off, like actual fingernails. Yes. <laughs> you know, and it's like so it looks like he's actually clipping them. Like he he cares enough to trim his fingernails, but only after they're like six inches long. <laughs> and it's funny is there's a cameo as like a background Easter egg of Radu. Oh yeah yeah. Later. Uh, there's several like let, let's take a moment to talk about that like in in the in both his and Kyle's rooms we see like posters from subspecies we see fango posters obviously the Aerosmith poster that shows up in everyone's room um yeah. but yeah there's like the uh, what is it was it Tetsuo the Iron Man or uh, the, yeah oh God, I forget what it was called is it the, is it called the Iron Man have you ever seen Tetsuo the Iron Man yeah, I, I have, but is that is that what the title is? I'm just that's the title, and that's one okay. of those like tape trader you got in the back of Fangoria movies. They they um, actually Joe Bob showed that. Yep. Yeah, that's when I saw it. <laughs> crazy, crazy movie. Uh, yeah, we have yeah. a picture from that. There's there's. I was a teenage movie. zombie. Yep. Or teenage Frankenstein. I'm sorry, which is just a great looking poster. 
mm-hmm. of those like 50s uh, teen horror films from back in the day. Yeah. Like the art direction of the movie is awesome. Yeah. And they, they have that fantasy of like, man, I wish I lived in an unfinished attic <laughs> right. with state of the art computer equipment, my own refrigerator. <laughs> that apparently he kept hot dogs and bananas in and, yeah, and, a, and, and a whole chicken. A woman who loves me being a, a peeping creeper. Right, exactly. Living next door to me. <laughs> and just lets me take videos. Because, oh, you know, Lord. you'd go to jail for that now. Yeah, well, you'd go for go to jail for that then, too, if you got caught. Yeah, but it's also like teenage boy fantasy. This is true. <laughs> but so act two kicks up. We uh, we cut to Michael going into the woods to bury the foot and we get the trope of the nosy dog. A random German shepherd steals the foot from out of his duffel bag and runs off with it, causing Michael to limp after the dog. That dog is the best damn detective in the movie. <laughs> it really is. Because it's got his number the whole damn film, but nobody understands dog. <laughs> it's all like Michael's begging. He's like, please, I'll never ask you for anything else. Just let go of the foot. And the dog's like, all right, and just drops the foot. You seem so cool. He, he runs over and grabs the foot and hears the owner coming. So he runs and hides in the bushes. <laughs> like While he's laying there covering up the foot. The dog and the owner pass by, and then the dog comes back over to check out Eddie Furlong. Like, you still got that foot? <laughs> and I love how the dog is sniffing Eddie Furlong laying in the bushes. The owner is standing there looking straight down and somehow can't see him laying in front of his dog in bright clothes while only covered in a little bit of sparse shrubbery. <laughs> like, ah, movies. Apparently, you disappear if you hide in leaves. Maybe it's just something like. They catch Edward Furlong laying in the forest all the time. <laughs> They're like, oh, it's that Michael kid. He's just napping in the dirt. <laughs> How many times? Uh, whatever. It's not even worth Like, just have fun doing whatever you're doing, kid. <laughs> Back at home, Michael decides to burn the evidence, including his clothes in the fireplace. And the just... foot? Yeah. Yeah. Because that that comes uh, comes back later. Oh, on yeah, the, yeah. OK. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so just then the doorbell rings and it's Kyle. He wants to know why Michael wasn't in school. Michael tells him he has mono. And he goes, oh, sucks. And he gets closer. <laughs> yeah, he's like, so can I come in? He's like, no, you better not. So Kyle brings up the murder, thinking it's pretty awesome that there's been a, a murder in their own backyard. Michael yells at him, telling him it's not cool at all, that a guy is dead. Kyle looks all sheepish and then asks, hey, if, if you're sick, can I borrow a brain scan? Since, you know, you're going to be laid up anyway. Michael snaps at him, telling him to get off his back about it. Kyle tells him if he wants to be a jerk about it and keep it to himself, just say so. Michael slams the door at his face, and I fucking love Kyle's reaction. He just starts ringing the doorbell repeatedly until Michael opens the door. He just flips him off while biting his lower lip. I laughed so fucking hard. He was just like, take that, and walked away. I was like, oh, we all have that one friend. (laughs) But... Cut to later that day, Michael is woken up from a nap by the doorbell ringing. He goes to answer the door and finds Kimberly there. She tells him she gathered up all of his homework for the week since he hasn't been in school. And then she hands over his mail as well, saying, oh, I grabbed your mail on my way over. Uh, He looks at the mail and sees the next brain scan disc and freaks out. He then tells Kim to leave. She looks a bit disappointed, but she goes. Isn't it creepy to get somebody's mail? Is that another, like, social faux pas? I mean... 
Yeah, it is. But the funny thing is, I actually do remember growing up like our one neighbor um, a lot of times would like bring over like baked goods and cookies. She was a sweet little old lady. And um, she would sometimes like grab the mail at the end of the driveway and, and bring it up and be like, oh, I grabbed your mail, too, on my way over. So, like, I think in some areas it's just kind of like a suburban neighborly thing, even though, yeah, you shouldn't do it. But eh, who knows? But um, so he uh, he rips open the envelope and smashes the disc. That night, Michael gets a call from BrainScan and the trickster shows up in his room. He tells Michael it's time to play the second disc. Michael tells him he can't because he trashed it. The trickster says you did nothing of the sort and holds up a spinning disc on one of his fingernails. He hands the disc over and tells Michael to play it, saying there's still time. The witness has yet to speak. Michael tells him he'll play it for the police and the trickster wishes him luck. Cut to Michael recording himself while playing the game. He starts it up and we smash cut to Michael coming out of the game a little bit later. We see that he has seven minutes to spare. He can't remember what happened, so he rewinds the tape and watches. Moments after the game starts, we see Michael get up out of his chair and start walking away. Michael goes to check his freezer and finds the bloody necklace of his friend Kyle. He quickly tries to call Kyle. Cut to Kyle's bedroom where we see Detective Hayden and a couple other officers in the room. Hayden answers the phone and says, who is this? Michael freaks out and hangs up. We see Kyle's room is covered in blood. The next day, day Kimberly shows up at Michael's house again, this time to give him her condolences on the loss of his best friend. And the two end up talking for a while. Michael admits how badly he misses his friend. Later that night, uh, or I'm sorry, later on the news, Michael watches as Detective Hayden goes to the high school to question students about Kyle. And then suddenly, trickster! Michael yells at the trickster, saying Kyle wasn't a witness, so why kill him? The trickster reminds Michael that he was the he was the one that killed Kyle, and that he and that Kyle knew things about Michael. And since Michael pissed him off, it was only a matter of time before he talked. Do you get mad that we never got to see any of this? Kind of, but at the same time, I feel like it would have slowed the movie even more. Yeah, I mean, I get you have to question like what's going on, what's real, what's not real. Yeah. Um, but I was always mad that they kind of like they probably had to for the ratings back then, too. But yeah, because especially since I mean, granted, like it's tame compared to some of the shit we've seen you know, now. But in the 90s, that was when like the um, the MPAA were like really uh, cramming down on horror movies. And that first kill, while not like super bloody by today's standards, was pretty bloody by 90s standards for horror. Because, like, I mean, if you look, remember Leatherface, like, how badly they neutered that film. Yeah. You know, and, like, it, was, it wasn't until, like, the 2000s that we kind of, like, got back into showing gore on screen. You know, it's like, I think it was, like, you know, the 70s kind of opened the door, the 80s kicked it in and ran amok. And then the 90s was, like, people were clutching their pearls and cleaning up. So... The trickster tells him that he left a clue behind on the second disc and needs to keep playing. The doorbell rings. The trickster tells Michael not to answer it, but Michael ignores him and goes downstairs. And I love this next moment because it's a very quiet moment. But the trickster looks around kind of bored, like what should he do? Turns on the TV, sees the three stooges, looks intrigued and settles into watch with his hands folded on his belly. And Michael's we never mentioned how weird Michael's chair is. Yeah, it's like one of those bizarre gaming chairs. And this is a plot hole in the movie that really bugs me. It's supposed to be all through Michael's perspective. Right. 
yet there's cutaways where Michael's not around mm-hmm. of characters doing things. And I think it's just uh, uh, they didn't realize it. Well, also remember, uh, video games have cutscenes. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. You know. All right. <laughs> I get that logic. But uh, but no, I just I, I find it oddly endearing how the trickster just enjoys the Three Stooges. Why wouldn't he? Because he's awesome. Exactly. I, this, like I said, I really like that character. But um, Michael answers the door and finds Detective Hayden and another officer there to ask him some questions. They explain that they talked to the kids at school and all of them had some interesting things to say about Michael. None of them good, saying they described him as frightening, strange and weird. They show him the newspaper where there's an article about Kyle and it says interview with his best friend. More on that in a moment. The detective tells him that his voice sounds familiar and says, are you sure you didn't call Kyle's house after the murder? And and uh, of course, Michael's like, no, no, that wasn't me. It must have been someone else. Like, oh, yeah, that didn't sound guilty at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the detectives tell him that they want to find the killer and they will catch him. Hayden tells Michael if there's anything, but if he's anything but the class misfit, he will find out about it. And then he and the other cop leave. Outside, Hayden tells the other cop to check the phone record, saying he's sure that Michael is the one who called Kyle's house. And he goes on to say that Michael was burning something in the fireplace. And the, the other cop is like, well, what do you mean? He goes, there were there were fresh ashes in there and it's summer. Something doesn't add up. So the two take off. Michael goes back upstairs to find the trickster eating a raw chicken and bananas and mustard. Yum, yum. <laughs> Man, I feel bad for the actor. You know what I, I I always think about this when I see gross food moments is there's that um, I forget what they call it, but it's a certain branch of like effects work where their whole their the whole purpose of what they have to do is make palatable gross food stuffs. Yes. So it has to look gross, but be palatable. And so I was thinking, like, I wonder if that's like some kind of like butterscotch sauce or something that he's squirting all over those bananas to look like mustard, but tastes like sweet. To compliment the banana. Man, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, <laughs> that's nasty. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, the, uh, he's, he's eating the, uh, the old bananas and raw, bananas, mustard, and raw chicken. Um, but Michael tells the trickster that the cops think he's the killer. And the trickster goes, of course they do. And points out the article in the newspaper reading, interview with best friend. All of Mountain View High was in a state of shock but one student's loss was greater. And then he quotes, I miss him. God, I miss him already. Sobbed his best friend and president of the still banned horror club. Michael realizes that Kimberly screwed him over by sharing their conversation. Michael goes to hit the trickster, but the trickster grabs him by the arm and cuts his hand with one of his long nails, forcing him to bleed on the desk. Michael looks like freaked out and he comments, scared of blood, remind you of something and starts taunting him about the night of the accident. Michael pulls away to see that his hand is no longer cut. The blood on the desk forms into the third disc, and the trickster tells him to play it or don't, saying, kill yourself, join your mother. You've thought of it many times before. You could be with her forever. The trickster goes on to taunt Michael some more, telling him that he's afraid to finish anything, that he's too scared of everyone and everything. He then reminds him that he's been trying to help him, but Michael has yet to let him. Michael asks how the trickster, uh, how the trickster's trying to help him, and he says, play part three. And he goes, he'll make it. He says, I'll make a deal with you. Just remove the clue. No killing this time. Michael doesn't believe him. And the trickster retreats into the television. Michael asks him where the clue is and what they're like, you know, I'm sorry. He says, what's the clue that's left behind? 
the trickster says footprints and Michael realizes his limp will give him away. Like that's what the footprints are. Uh, the trickster tells him that the only way to remember where it is, is to play the game. He reminds him no killing, just remove the clue and do it within the, the time limit. Otherwise game over you lose. The trickster then disappears. What do you, this is the end of act two. What are you guys thinking? This is where it starts to lose me a little bit. Okay. That's fair. Um, it's not bad, but it's just like, okay, footprints. Right. Okay. You know, it's just, it's fine. I mean, it's a loose connection, but they were really trying. They were like, oh, well, he's got a limp. So his, his, his footprints would look a little more staggered than, you know, someone else's footprints. So of course they would link it back to him. It's like, all right, whatever. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Could have been something you dropped, but whatever. Okay, fine. Like they had to give him something to do. <laughs> yep. What about you, Reese? What are your thoughts on this? I'm I'm still trying to figure it out, see where they're going. Mm. I have some ideas of where they're going. Um, I, I'm in it. I, I mean, I haven't lost interest. I'm curious as a first time watcher at this point in the movie, were you kind of kind of thinking what the twist might be? No, no. OK, sure, yeah, I was curious because like I remember as a kid watching this and being surprised by the twist, but then watching it as an adult, like, you know, having seen this many times was like I was seeing all the points where it's like, oh, OK, I, I get I get what you're laying down. So I was curious if uh, if it was showing up. So I'm, I'm glad it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't as overt as it seems after you see the movie. But uh, but yeah, my, my thing, like I mentioned before, I always forget what a great actor Frank Langella is. And, you know, it just all of these scenes with Detective Hayden during this second act, I was just impressed repeatedly. But um, so act three kicks up. We cut to Kimberly and Michael making out in her bed. Suddenly she turns into the first victim who begins choking Michael. He's like, Mer! he <laughs> groans like young Frankenstein. I hate when that happens. I know you're making out with a hot chick and suddenly she turns into a corpse <laughs> and that corpse starts choking you, but he wakes up screaming. So we see, oh, it was all a dream. Cut to Kimberly standing outside his house in the rain, yelling for him to talk with her. Uh, we see Hayden watching this from his car. She yells at him that she didn't know what was that uh, she didn't know what was going to happen and that it was her friend Stacy who wrote the article. Michael throws the paper at her and starts playing music loudly to drown out her voice so he can ignore her. While he's blasting music, Hayden decides what's a little breaking and entering between friends and sneaks into his house. It's not <laughs> like, how that works. Exactly. And he steals some ashes from the fireplace to have them examined. Smash like some B and E on the weekend. Exactly. You know, it's like, hey, he's distracted. He won't mind. <laughs> Smash cut to later that night, we see a group of townsfolk working with the cops. Hayden tells them that they're all there to help and protect as a neighborhood watch. He says that they're to stay in pairs and no one is to use a firearm, reminding them that he knows many of them own guns. But if he sees any of them with a firearm, he'll confiscate the gun and arrest the citizen. We see Michael's school principal is amongst the people in the watch. The men murmur their understanding of the rules and everyone heads out. Back at Michael's house, he boots up the third disc, reminding himself, no more killing, just the clue. We see Michael sneaking around the neighborhood. He goes to Kyle's house, finds the footprints in the garden, and wipes them out. Meanwhile, inside the house, we see the second detective, the one who came to uh, to, to Michael's house with Hayden. 
um, dusting the room for prints. The trickster calls him and tells him, I believe there's an intruder in your yard. The cop looks outside and sees Michael running away into the forest like whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> he runs out after or runs outside to chase after him. In the woods, we see the townsfolk searching. Michael once again has to hide in the bushes and somehow is not seen by a police officer with a flashlight, even though he's standing directly in front of him because movie's got a movie. Michael starts running through a nearby construction site after he get, after the cop walks away. He takes off, runs to a nearby construction site, and is grabbed by the principal. The principal tries to radio Hayden while Michael fights to get away. The radio is all staticky, and Hayden can't make out what the hell the principal is saying. And I love how calm Hayden is because he's like, turn up the volume. It's the little knob on the top. <laughs> it's on the left. <laughs> it's just like, do the thing. Uh, I can't hear you, you idiot. But... <laughs> During the struggle, Michael staggers, uh, stagger, I'm sorry, uh, during the struggle, the principal staggers backward into some scaffolding and knocks down a giant pallet of bricks, which lands on his head, killing him. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> that looks horrible. <laughs> like, but it was so ridiculous. It was. I just felt bad for him, like getting crushed by bricks. <laughs> yeah, that would suck. So Michael runs before the others can get there and ends up hiding in the basement of a, of a house that's being built. Once again, the German shepherd comes in and finds him. And he's like, I know I said I wouldn't ask you for anything else, but please leave me alone. And the dog's like, all right, and leaves for plot reasons. So while the men are searching, uh, the detective that was chasing Michael shows up with his gun drawn. One of the townsfolk has a rifle, who didn't see that coming, and shoots, shoots the cop dead. The cops and Hayden show up to find the detective that was shot, as Michael sneaks away. Uh, and I love this. Hayden just calmly looks at the group and he's like, and who wants to tell his wife? Like you bunch of assholes. You know? like, again, Hayden's just <laughs> overly calm. Yeah. But like, again, he's just like, you motherfuckers. Like he's just so sick of everybody's shit. He ain't got time for no one's bullshit. Nope. But, um, so, uh, Michael kind of sneaks away as they're all distracted with the body. Kimberly sees Michael going back to his house and calls out to him, but he just stares at her and goes inside. He finishes the game with just two minutes to spare. The trickster tells him that he did magnificent. The town is covered in blood. Michael is pissed and tells him that he promised there would be no more killing. The trickster points out that you had no choice. His hand, your hand was forced. He then tells Michael there was a witness, though, and you know who it is. And then he says part four. Cut to the next day, Hayden is given the file from forensics and is told that the phone records were checked and Michael is the one who made the call. Hayden checks the file to see traces of blood were found in the ashes, blood that matches that of the first victim. Back to Michael and the trickster, the trickster is telling Michael that he has to kill Kimberly. Michael refuses and the trickster taunts him, telling him that it's his life or hers. That night, Michael loads up disc four. The timer shows he has 15 minutes. Michael goes to Kimberly's house and breaks in, grabs a pair of scissors and heads to her room. Meanwhile, Hayden is standing outside of Kimberly's house. Somehow he knows to go there instead of Michael's. That's interesting. Hmm. I wonder why. <laughs> so Michael goes into Kimberly's room and locks the door behind him. The trickster appears behind him and taunts Michael, telling him to kill her. Michael fights back against the trickster, asking, who the hell are you? To which the to which he replies, Michael, I can't believe you still don't know. I'm you. Michael stabs the trickster in the gut and suddenly CGI gore spills out and grabs his hand. 
the trickster begins pulling Michael in, and the two start to merge in some really bad green screen oh, and CGI effects. That, that was so, terrible. If you get the DVD, this scene originally was all practical. Oh, no shit. And it's really cool looking. See, now, the what's in the movie is awful. <laughs> yeah, it's it's rough. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. We've seen plenty of great merging scenes. The first one that comes to mind is, uh, what is it, Nightmare on Elm Street 4 or 5? Five? 5. Where, uh, you know, um, Alice is holding Freddy and is, like, trying to, like, pull him out of her. And you see, like, he's connected to her at the waist and, like, his face is stretching off of hers and really cool sequence. And then, of course, the uh, the Hellraiser twins in part four in Bloodline, where we see them merge together. So it can definitely be done practical and look awesome. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, this was not. <laughs> this was not done well. But the two of them are, like, you know, they're merging together. Kimberly wakes up and starts screaming, seeing this, like, weird amalgam of Michael and the trickster. Uh, they fall down like b- behind her bed and suddenly just Michael jumps up. He only has he has like weird lines and scars on the one side of his face and his eyes are now yellow like the tricksters. Kimberly tells him that she's or tells him she's scared and begs for him not to hurt her, admitting that she loves him. <laughs> and he's oh, like, oh, God, what, I know, what? Right? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you do anything to save yourself. I've and talked to you four times. I love you. She's like, I, I know you watch me from your window. I've known for a long time. I love you. Mm. And then she goes, I, I watch you too. I bet you didn't know that. And then she shows him a whole folder of pictures she's taken of him. Ugh. And repeats that she loves him. The trickster appears behind Michael. Suddenly, he, he can't handle all that love talk. So he, he pops out of Michael. And uh, you know, Michael tells him, game over. You lose. The trickster smiles and says, perhaps, but first, and he opens the bedroom door to Detective Hayden, who walks in, calls Michael a murderer, and shoots him to death. Michael comes comes to back in his room in the same clothes from the first night when he first played Brain Scan. Outside, we hear the party is still going on, and slowly Michael realizes the entire thing was the game. Michael freaks out, smashes the CD, which I'm going to have questions about in a minute. And then completely wrecks his computer. Like Fucking idiot. I know, right? Just destroys the fucking thing. That had to be back then oh. $25,000, $30,000 of equipment. <laughs> it was a lot of equipment. Remember, though, he's living in a mansion. He's fine. Yep. If I was his dad, I would choke him. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of money. I Also, just quick comment. What is it with film versions especially in the 90s film versions of computers where none of them had a chassis all of them were like look we it, it's just a screen and wires with an erector set holding it together i don't like, know <laughs> what <laughs> why it's just you're just asking dust to get all up in there but anyway <laughs> so he freaks out destroys his room outside he hears kyle calling for him he goes to answer the door and freaks out happy to see his friend He's like, I love you, man. And Kyle's like, okay, <laughs> what's up? But Kyle tells him it's a good thing he didn't order brain scan and that he saw this thing on the news where it caused a kid to have an aneurysm and his eyes exploded. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? His fucking eyes exploded? <laughs> Why play? <laughs> right? 
so Michael decides not he to wait. He played Murder in- Shit Death Blood 7, and he <laughs> had a seizure. He played the abortionator, and he <laughs> died. <laughs> he played the abortionator, got pregnant, and then got an abortion. He didn't understand the game. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> but Michael decides not to wait any longer and wants to go talk to Kimberly. So the, the two head over to the party. Michael goes inside to talk to Kimberly while Kyle hangs back to hit on her friend Stacy, winning her over with the more than smooth dialogue of that outfit is totally bitchin'. You look just like that girl in that video by what's his name, only better. Such poetry. <laughs> she goes, video? Really? And she's so early 90s. She's got like the round glasses, <laughs> the, no the eyebrows. Be- the beanie. The beanie, the flannel. Oh, my God. Like, she's right out of PCU. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. Oh, my God. So Michael goes inside or goes upstairs to to find Kimberly, who is just watching some dude yak in a sink. I'm like, yeah, that's a fun party. She's happy to see him and they go to her room to talk. He just flat out asks her, will you please go out with me? And she's like, uh, I don't think so. She then tells him that uh, it's not a good time. And yeah, I'll think about it. Michael gets all excited and says, that's not a no. Like, so you're saying I have a chance. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but she does look to him and kiss him. So I think what? she does have a chance. That's why I'm saying it's so confusing because she's like, she's like, you know, no, not now. And then she's like, I don't think it's a good time. And then she, he's like, well, that's not a no. And she's like, well, I'll think about it. And then she kisses him, making it even more confusing. And then she leaves. I'm like, I do not miss being a teenager. But- Jesus Christ. This is not how it works. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. There's so many fucking mixed signals. This isn't how any of this works. (laughs) This is not okay. But Michael finds the stack of creeper photos that she had taken of him from her window, and he gets excited. Cut to the next day at school. Michael goes to see the principal, telling him he has a game that he'd like to show the horror club, and hands him a copy of Brain Scan. Um, (laughs) Like, here's where I have a question. He destroyed it. We saw him destroy it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah How does he have a copy of Brain Scan? I don't know. Oh, fucking plot hole. But the principal scoffs and goes, this should be amusing. And Michael's like, I think you'll really like it. We see the, the trickster appear behind the principal and smile at Michael. He smiles back. The trickster laughs. Credits the end. But, you know, this is like the trickster's kind of a cool dude, I guess. Yeah. He's going to have your principal kill some people as a joke. <laughs> it's just a lark. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, I don't know what it is. You know what it is, I think, is I love goofy, creepy horror hosts like the Crypt Keeper. Yes. I love Freddy. I love the Crypt Keeper. The trickster just fits right into that milieu. And, and I'm like, yeah, that that I think that's what it is. But can you imagine how great this would have been if instead of the trickster, it was the Crypt Keeper? <laughs> oh he'd have a thousand and one puns just <laughs> that would be a riot <laughs> I, I, I missed the crypt keeper but uh yeah so final thoughts on this is uh as far as 90s horror movie go horror movies go i kind of hold this one up in high regard it's not the best it, it absolutely isn't but for me it's 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 like comfort food 
You know, it's like a <laughs> it's like a taco from Mighty Taco. I know it's not good and it's probably going to give me the runs, but I'm going to eat it anyway. <laughs> it's this is a very weird time in horror. If you know you want to be a student of the game, mm-hmm. everything was kind of going to video that has a cult following now. So this is sort of the rise of Full Moon, mm-hmm. which was filling the void that was left in theaters because the MPAA was just gutting everything. And also horror cyclical. So it was just kind of on the outs. You yep. still got horror movies, but they were like high concept, big budget, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, Wolf. Before it really petered out until Scream kind of jump started again. So it was like this. This is it gets forgotten. This is like a time capsule movie. Yep. It's it's good. It's really good. Um, the concept would even hold up now, I think, as a remake. It, it didn't have to be a remake. Just a movie taking the concept of. You know, you're living the game, you're killing people, you stole a foot. You know, I was I was actually thinking about that, like not not wanting to like write a script or anything, but I I was thinking about the concept and how you would do that now. And I think one of the things that would be really fun is if it was like some kind of interactive online game that ends up being like almost like a dark web scenario where like you end up getting involved with some people you probably shouldn't fuck with. And then they start forcing you to do things to keep to save your own life. Like Guns Akimbo. K- kind of. Yes. Yeah. Like uh, Guns, Ak- Guns Akimbo mixed with Would You Rather. Yeah. Like mix those two together. And I feel like you have a really creepy uh, forced to be a slasher type movie. What you're saying is put Jeffrey Combs in it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and honestly, put Daniel Radcliffe in it. I'd like to see him as a slasher. <laughs> Yeah, and Daniel, I've watched anything with Daniel Radcliffe. Same. <laughs> he, he's really grown on me. Um, oh, dude, same. <laughs> I love him in everything I've seen him in. He, like, the fact that he's got, like, that fuck you money from Harry Potter, which just lets him do whatever he wants, yep. makes him really cool, in my opinion. <laughs> um, I agree. So, yeah. There, there are certain actors. I feel like Nicolas Cage is another one of those actors that's just like, I'll just do what I want to do. Like, I don't care how stupid the movie sounds or how bizarre it sounds. I'm going to fucking do it. And those are the actors I tend to really like. (laughs) So, but, yeah, I I mean, so I would definitely recommend this. I I think uh, most of the people listening to this podcast, if you haven't seen this, chances are you're going to enjoy it. It's it's a fun flick. It's definitely one that doesn't get talked about enough. And I'm glad that we finally got it on the show. Yeah, it's cool. Watch there, it. There's uh there's not a whole hell of a lot of trivia. Um apparently director John Flynn could not stand Eddie Furlong. <laughs> Shocking. Now He's, is that MD bullshit or do you think that's possible? I think it's possible because I've heard some bad uh Hollywood stories about Eddie Furlong. I, just I know. that's why I asked. Yeah, no well just of him being like uh hard to deal with because of the whole like there was substance abuse issues, but there was also a lot of like him being a kid and also being really popular really quick. So he kind of had that, like, I don't give a fuck attitude with a lot of stuff. Um, but it's, he says Edward Furlong was a 15 year old kid who couldn't act. You had to slap him awake every morning. <laughs> I don't want to get into knocking people, but I was not a big fan of Edward Furlong. <laughs> um, Jamie Galen was 27 and played the teenager Kyle. 
uh, which I found kind of funny. I'm like, damn, like we talk about that all the time with we reference 90210 with Andrea. <laughs> but it's like some of these people are playing teens and they're like almost 30. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the thing I question. If uh, Edward Furlong was 15 and um, what's her name? The chick who played Kimberly, um, Amy Hargraves, she was 24. So yeah. like she was making out with a 15 year old. Like that's kind of we talked about this on Weird Science with. um. I can't think of her fucking name now, but the chick who played Lisa um, making out with the dude who was who who played Wyatt, uh, he was 15. And we're like, that's creepy. She's in her 20s. He's 15. And yeah, that's just it's strange. Um, I loved your Raised by Rentals. Weirder science. Um, <laughs> as you. I was listening to it, I thought, how funny would it be if you went the angle of Chet decides to make the perfect man? <laughs> and you, it's the same story again, but it's just, you know, Chet, Chet. And oh, uh, it turns into like softcore gay porn. Um, <laughs> it would have been he, funny. He was he was very obsessed with masculinity. Yeah, I mean, it was like very obvious. Yeah, oh yeah. What, what was going on with Chet? So, I say, speaking of raised by rentals, I, I know it's it's uh we're a little behind the eight ball here because uh we we took a break, but we just recorded our Monopoly episode finally, and and man, we need to do more board game ones because those are always fun. We had a lot of fun with that one, but cool. um, yeah, I'm very excited for that one to come out. But uh, uh, Edward Furlong was uh, uh yeah, I already said this that Edward Furlong was the same age as as his character and uh, Kyle, Kimberly, and Stacy were all older. Um, oh yeah, here we go. I knew I wrote this down somewhere. The Fangoria magazine that Michael and Kyle read and the with the fake uh, the fake brain scan article in is issue ninety five, which was published in nineteen ninety. So yeah, and you like you said it was the Total Recall epi- or issue. Yep. But. Uh, so, yeah, not a, not a ton of, of trivia. Um, I still am really curious about that Brainwaves or Brain Scanners game, because I would really like to find it if it if it is an actual video game. If it was anything like they tried to be like Brain Scan, it would suck. You know what I'm what I'm wondering if it is, because there was a lot of these in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, there was a lot of interactive games on PC where it was stuff like. They're mostly word games like you had to like like you played it by like typing in answers. Yeah. But it would be like a face talking to you or you like a like some kind of pixel art um, face on one side of the screen. And it would be asking you questions and you would have to like type in the correct answers to correspond with those. Almost like it was like like kind of one of those tests where it's like, let's see what your personality is like. One of those things, but gamified. Yeah. So I wonder if it's something like that. But so, yeah, any uh, you guys got anything left to say about brain scan? No, go watch it. If you don't feel like paying for it. There's a streaming service that's a red triangle. (laughs) Which it's a VHS copy. It's not the best, but, you know, I mean, hey, that's a way you can watch Dawn of the Dead as well. The original that is on there. So. But uh, all right, well, we're going to start wrapping this up. So our social media for anyone not following us, we are the Boogeyman's Closet on both Facebook and Instagram. And Maurice handles our Twitter. What is that good, sir? At Boogeyman's the. Thank you very much. Uh, we do have a Patreon. It's $3 a month for all of our unedited episodes. The higher tiers will get you stuff like art in the mail and uh, birthday picks, et cetera, et cetera. 
So check that out if you're so inclined. Uh, we are also part of the Rad Pantheon Network, which is a group of podcasters, artists, and musicians doing rad stuff. So check out radpantheon.com and Rad Pantheon on all the socials for more podcasts like this and like the other one that me and Mike do. So, Mike, I'm going to toss it over to you for any plugs you want to give. Count Creepyheads, Saturday Morning Monster Mash, a show where adult men talk about toys and horror movies and whatever we feel like. Had to take a little break this week because I was working out of town. And when this episode drops, you'll probably have a new episode of Count Creepyhead if you love the sound of my voice. And definitely and voice and Josh's say, voice. Definitely check it out because uh, there's some wacky shit on there. <laughs> yeah. We we definitely get away with uh, with a lot more wacky things, especially impressions. You and Josh always kill me with the damn impressions. I, I can't hey, do impressions man. to save my life. Hey, man, we're the Eddie Furlong of podcasts. <laughs> there you go. Oh, Lord. Well, for anyone that wants to watch our next episode before we cover it, it's going to be 174 Werewolves Within. Really looking forward to this one because I haven't seen it yet. I, I have, It's been on my list forever. Ooh. And oh, I, good. I really am looking forward to it. I'm also very curious because I've never played the video game. The video game is apparently a VR game, and it's like a VR social game. I've never tried it, but uh, I was reading about it, and it, it sounds like it would be a fun experience, but very much like a like a um, Among Us type game where you have it, to play with a bunch of others. I got like Maniac Mansion vibes. Oh, well, I love Maniac. Watching the movie of just like eccentric, crazy characters. So, um, Maurice, you recommended it, right? Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, yeah. it's it's really cool. Uh, great cast. If you like that lady who does the AT&T commercials, mm-hmm. uh, she gets to shine and act in this. And or, it's really or, cool. Or who should have been Squirrel Girl, damn it. Yes. Oh, my the God. Fact, she would have been Squirrel Girl. That She would have been so good at that. The fact that she doesn't show up to beat the crap out of Thanos in Endgame makes me mad to this day. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep in mind, we haven't gotten an MCU Doctor uh, Doctor Doom yet. And it is canon that Squirrel Girl beats the shit out of Doctor Doom with an army of squirrels. Yes. So maybe we'll get to see that. We did get to see Modoc on the silver screen, which I'm still I'm still excited about. Like <laughs> that made me so happy. It was everything I wanted. Put her in She-Hulk season two. Ah, oh, seriously. Give us Squirrel Girl, damn it. But anyway, <laughs> let's wrap this one up here and uh We will be back next week with some werewolves. So, as always, this is Mike saying goodbye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, follow us on Instagram at The Boogeyman's Closet, where you can stay up to date with everything we have planned.